We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you on a Wednesday um, midweek as the Knicks prepare to kick off uh, a four-game homestand tonight uh, against the Portland Trailblazers. The season, well, season's probably over, but that's okay. We still have a lot to talk about. Um, and we do exactly that on this episode. The great Fred Katz of The Athletic joins us. Um, we do a lot of R.J. Barrett talk because Fred actually uh, is releasing a piece uh, today on Wednesday about R.J. Barrett and why exactly his season turned around when it did, uh, what he's been doing, what's been so different about his game over the last two and a half months. Um, we got into all kinds of nitty gritty there. We also touched on Julius Randall, Randall, Tom Thibodeau, playing the kids, all the all the hot topics of the moment. And Fred gave some great insights, uh, as he always does. Um, so stay tuned for that episode uh, right now. And as a reminder, uh, just before we get to Fred, uh, if you are not checking out the Knicks Film School post game live streams on our YouTube channel, one check those out because we're still doing them after every game and two subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, we are, I am told by my producer, Andrew Claudio knocking on the door of, of 9,000 subscribers. So if you are on YouTube and you like what uh, we do on there, feel free to subscribe. Uh, that is it. Uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Fred Katz. Joining me now in the next film school podcast, uh, someone who, <laughs> Andrew Claudio just gave some very devastating news to about two minutes ago. Um, Fred Katz of The Athletic, who was here to talk about the Knicks and the NBA. But um, I'm sorry that you're a Yankee fan and and you just learned that apparently some of your some of your guys may not be taking the field that soon. Yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, they may or may not have traded for an unvaccinated player in a city with a vaccine mandate. May or may not. We'll find out. Well, you know, listen, these are the questions that like uh, that you like to ask before you uh, before you, you trade. Maybe for folks. he said he'd do it. 
Maybe they're like, yeah, he's unvaccinated, but he'll do it because of the mandate. Like there are definitely players who in the NBA who did it be like, like Andrew Wiggins did it because of the mandate. Right. Yes. Uh, um, maybe he'll do it. <sighs> see mandates, uh, maybe, maybe making the world a better place. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll find, we'll find out. <laughs> Tune in next time on Fred talks baseball. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, how you been, man? I'm great. I'm lovely. I'm just traveling the country, watching Knicks games. I did the math last night. I think I was on the road for 26 out of 40 days. Oof. I got stuck in Tennessee because of that cyclone the other day. Had to leave Memphis, drive to Nashville just to get a flight out the next day. Oof. It was uh, the life of a beat writer. I have to ask this. Did you attend the Nets? Wait, no. So they, that was the... No, yeah, I did no. not go to the Nets. You didn't Nets go to the Nets game, game because you I was were in grounded. Nashville I, and I, I watched okay. it on TV. That's right. I, I remember the tweet that you sent out. If if you had gone, if you had been able to get home, would you have gone to the Nets game to cover it in person? Of course. Okay. I was just asking. Was that's that's all. Um, yeah. th- you're a trooper. That's all. That's I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. You're a trooper. Um, the Knicks. Uh, I don't know if we call them troopers, um, but I'm thinking back to like. Maybe not the last pod we did, but maybe the one before that. I don't know. It's all run together at this point where the season had kind of gone poorly. And we were looking at this very road heavy slate over the second half of the year with a lot of tough games. And it was like, okay, are they going to come up big or are they going to not? And um, I think we know the answer to that question now. Before we get into some specifics, I'll just ask, like, I think I asked this the last time. I'll ask it again. Since the last time we talked, are you, like, kind of surprised at how the season has been going or is this kind of what you expected? Nah, I think this is what I expected. I mean, I was talking to somebody. I I, I won't say this is what I expected at the very beginning of the year. I I figured they'd probably be around 500. I thought their over-under was was pretty appropriate. I think it was 41 coming into the year. I think I had them. I had them at like 43 or something like that, 44 wins. So obviously I did not expect they they can't even hit that number now. They've already got 40 losses. So I obviously I didn't expect to this degree. But once we kind of saw what they were, even when they were 22 and 21, you just looked at the upcoming schedule and you saw the way that they were playing. Yeah. And it was like, ooh, they are not the quality of 22 and 21. And, and I kind of thought 50 losses at that point was even more likely than than 500, even though they were hovering around 500 at the moment. Uh, they're not going to lose mean, 50. I was about to say, it's it's not off the table, but I I would personally it's, be surprised. It's probably off the table. We've talked for so long about how difficult the remaining strength it, of schedule is. Yeah, and you pointed like, it out today in your article. Yeah, yeah, it's over. It's over. The difficult part is over. They got 14 games left. Nine of them are home. They yeah. got one of the 10 easiest schedules in the league in terms of just remaining winning percentage of the teams they're playing. It's a lot of easy games. I just, I I think that might just set it up for Knicks fans to be really pissed in the end because they play themselves into the 10th pick instead of the seventh or 10th lottery position. You know what? You know who I blame? I blame you, Fred Katz, for writing. I I misspoke. It was not in today. Today's article we're going to talk about in a minute um, because today is coming on uh, Wednesday, which is when this episode is going to drop. But no, your Monday, your Monday piece in which you, in which you gently reminded Knicks fans of um, their current situation in terms of the tanking standings. And I love how you pointed out how, because I had the same thought for a few days now, the Portland game, big game, not for the reasons. Huge game. You, <laughs> huge game. Sacramento game. Huge Sacramento game. Was, yeah. Yeah. Very big. Yeah. Upcoming Portland game. Huge game. Knicks blowing that 23 point lead to Portland might be 
massive at the end of the year in terms of lottery positioning yeah. uh, as Portland just continues to, although they, they beat the wizards the other night, but they just had a six game stretch where they lost games by like 190 combined points. Yeah. Their, their post also break uh, net rating was like minus, I think like minus 30 before the wizards game. Um, yeah. And then of, of course they beat your old, your old friends to watch the wizards, leave it to the Wiz, man to, to lose to that team. Yeah. They just beat the teams that I covered the wizards. The <laughs> there you go. They only beat the teams that I cover, but yeah, I mean, they, they'll be somewhere in like that eight to 10 range in all likelihood, but watch like they've got an easy remaining strength of schedule. It would be extremely in character for this team to fake comeback this season. I mean, they have the two. I mean, look, we don't, this is not what we're going to talk about today, but like they have two games left against Charlotte. And like, if you look at Charlotte's schedule, you know, it's not like there's a whole lot of like, oh, well, that's definitely a win or that's definitely a win. Like, as you just said, it would be so Knicks if they took this thing down to like the last week, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, five, what are they, five back of the plan? Five, five really, and a half, something like that. Yeah. It's really hard to come back from with 14 games. Like, that's like. That's like some, that's like almost bordering on 2008 Mets stuff, 2007 Mets stuff. Uh, that was the one where Glavin that was started seven, seven games in 17 to the Phillies. Glavin started Andrew, the last game I'm of the season. I'm only saying that to annoy Andrew, who's sitting there in a shit right now. As you should. Listen, as somebody who's in the same boat with fears of who may not be playing home games for the Mets this year, I empathize with you. This is the 07 Mets. Get your Mets collapses correct. Mets. Yeah, yeah. Seven yeah, game yeah, lead yeah. with 17 to but play. It, Tom Glavin throws one out in the last right. game of the season out. and they blow the division. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it would take something like that for the Knicks to make play in. Um, as you said, it's probably going to be about lottery odds. We'll talk about some of the bad stuff in a bit. Let's let's start with the good because um, a little birdie told me that you may have something coming out on RJ Barrett, who is there an argument that he is the brightest spot about this next season. And I, I'm like, forget about actually, no, there was no argument. Like what's second, like what's the second brightest part about this next season? I, I mean, I or, think, I think they've done a pretty good job drafting. Sure. Yeah. Like, okay. Especially so, late Grimes, in the draft. Sims. Yeah. Yeah. Grimes. Grimes. Like Sims looks like an NBA player. He is. Grimes looks like a good NBA player. I mean, you get a good NBA player with the 25th pick, like Grimes. Grimes is a, is a bright spot for sure. Um, I still have hopes like, for quickly. Sims yeah. is like a flickering spot. Like he, but, but considering the context of 58th pick, you're like, okay, this guy, 50th pick, two way contract, looks like he actually will have a career. That's if anyone has a career after getting drafted <laughs> number 58, it's an yeah. excellent pick. You know, it's, I think, I think in general, the young guys have been, have been pretty, like, pretty encouraging on the whole. But there is only one young guy who, when you, again, is it kind of cherry pick stats? Yes. But if you put in, you know, like we all do, you put in his points, his rebounds, his assists into the old uh, NBA stats, you know, database and sort them um, from uh, New Year's Eve, which I know is a date that uh, you've kind of uh, are have circled in, in your most recent writing. Um you know, it puts him in some elite company and, you know, there are obvious differences. The efficiency is better, but um, not still where you'd want it to be. So yeah, give me, um, give me your thoughts on, on Mr. Barrett. What do you, uh, I, I have, is there a change that is, that you've noticed or like, where, where do you, where do you take this? Yeah. So I have, I have a story that'll, that'll come out at some point on Wednesday might not be out by the time this podcast is out, but it'll come out at some point on Wednesday on the athletic kind of about how December 31st was really his 
turning point. And I don't know if it was because of a New Year's resolution or what, but I, I spoke to his, his trainer, Drew Hanlon, and, and Drew was telling me, I've been using December 31st as that random marker before I even heard this anecdote because they played the Thunder that night and he took 11 shots in the paint. And I remember watching that game. They were missing half the team because of a COVID breakout. And I remember watching that game. And even after that game, I asked Tibbs, was that more pick and roll than RJ Barrett has ever run in his entire career? And Tibbs I, I remember like, yeah. that. And, and it just stood out to me to such a degree. He was going at the paint the whole time he was running pick and roll. And I was like, I get that everybody's out, but this is still a sort of assertiveness towards driving that just hasn't really existed with him, at least in the time that at least this season. And even last season when he got hot, it was mostly getting hot with the jumper more yeah. so than anything else in terms of changing his actual style and his habits. And this just looked like a different guy. And that's perpetuated since that night. I mean, he is taking since December 31st, he's taking 12 shots in the paint a game. Before that, he was taking seven. That's just a giant, giant leap. He's taking seven, more than seven free throw attempts a game. He was taking under three and a half before then. I mean, he's more than doubled his free throw attempts a game. Uh, all that stuff in terms of his tendencies, just reliance around the paint and the rim is way up. So, uh, so that afternoon on December 31st, he actually texted Drew Hanlon uh, a text saying like, it's time for me to take over. It's time to make a change. Uh, and, and it's almost as if it was like a New Year's resolution that he sent 11 hours before the New Year turned over. Uh, and and he's, he's really done it. I mean, he really followed through on the text message that he sent to Drew Hanlon. That's kind of what the story is about, just about how, how he has really just changed his habits in what is clearly an extremely conscious and, and not fluky way. I can't wait to read the story, um, especially since I'm someone that when it came out, I think it was uh, before this season or before last season, whenever it was that like the kind of Drew Hanlon plan, you know, for RJ about we're going to focus on this thing this summer and this thing the next summer and then so on and so forth. Like he this is clearly a player and a trainer that are in lockstep in terms of what, you know, they they want to how they want to go about RJ Barrett's career. And um, I'm, I'm very curious to to read that firsthand. Um, you mentioned the numbers. It, I hadn't thought about it was that much more in the paint because I'm just so used to like, well, it's RJ Barrett. Of course, most of his shots are going to be in the paint. But when you talk about taking charge of the team, part and parcel with that is like the days of me just waiting behind the arc for Julius Randle to do whatever the hell Julius Randle is going to do. And occasionally I'm going to get a kick out pass. I think that's what ended on uh, December 31st and not to say he doesn't still occasionally get that, that kick out when Julius does do that. But I don't know watching this team over the last two and a half months, I'm not going to say that he's the number one and Randall's the number two, because that's just, that, that doesn't jive with the eye test either, but it seems like it's a one a and a, or a one and a one a situation. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And, and even on those kickouts, it's, it's a lot more catch and goes, right? Mm-hmm. I think before it was more passive. All right, I'm going to get the ball and then I'm either catching and shooting or I'm going to wait and I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. And then you kind of back out and you ISO. And I think you're seeing a lot more catch and goes from him. Randall kicks out or somebody quickly kicks out. Somebody else kicks out and he just kind of catches and then and then kind of you know even starts cutting right as he's about to catch the pass. You see that more. Uh, I, I think he's reading more. I think he uses his strength a lot better too. Oh, yeah. Like I, I asked him recently if he thinks he's stronger now or he thinks he uses his strength better. 
And I was expecting him to say the latter. And he did. He said he thinks he's just using his strength better. Uh, before he just he wasn't necessarily bullying his way all the way to the rim. And he has a couple moves now that he's he's a little more comfortable with. He likes reaching under guys with his left, with his left when he's on his right. He he likes that kind of stop one, two, and then they'll turn around hook. Like he's got some moves that he's a little more comfortable with. I think he uses his strength well to get there. The thing for him next is like actually finishing once yeah. he's around the rim. Cause like you talk about how the efficiency is still quite not quite where you want to be. And you would think if a if a guy is taking 10, 11, 12 shots in the paint a game and he's taking seven free throws a game, how could that guy still have below league average efficiency? Like yeah. RJ still does. And and the answer is because he's even though bad finishing around the rim is still significantly more efficient than basically any other type of shot you can take. Uh, so it's good that you're taking those shots. His finishing around the rim is just still not necessarily there. He's shooting 50 some odd percent around I, the rim. I think cleaning the glass has it for the year at 57%, which is in the, the 25th percentile for wings. So basically, you know, three quarters of the league, the players at his position are, are better than him. Right. And that's the next step for him. That and, and the free throws, bringing him up from, from 70% and, yeah. and and raising it up to like 80 or something like that. But those, those are the two, the two things where it's like, okay, you want to bring up, cause over this stretch where he's averaging like 24 a game in 29 games, which is great. His true shooting is still like 52%, which is below where you want it to be. It's below league average. And, and to bring that up, you want that finishing around the rim to be up in the sixties and, and you want that free throw percentage to at least be like league average for somebody at his position. As a fan, my hope is that we look back on on this as it's all part of some sort of progression, which is like year one, I've, I've said this, I'll say it again. He was just bad. He was just not a good basketball player. Um, was throwing a lot of stuff against the wall. Occasionally some of it stick, but by and large, he was a kid who was learning how to play NBA basketball. Last year, I feel like he kind of morphed into this guy who was maybe for the first time of his career, truly a complimentary piece to Julius Randle and you know, he would have all those spot ups and that's what brought up his efficiency last year is because he hit whatever he hit 39% from deep. And like, he would still get his, I, I don't know how many possessions, like on ball possessions, a game where he would go, he would drive and this and that. And like, sometimes it went okay. And sometimes not. And now this is like for the first time I'm, I am running a basketball team and we see what that looks like. So I think if with more experience of being in this sort of role, my hope is that the efficiency will come around the rim. The thing that I'm as curious about, if not more curious about, and it's what I would say is his number one thing that he needs to work on moving forward is, is the playmaking. And I was just like, you know, you look at, you know, you do all these stats, stats sorting and whatnot, and then you compare them against other guys with points and rebounds and whatnot. But then you look at other guards and, and wings and forwards in the league and, all the good ones, you know, they're up over five assists. They're up close to six assists. You know, I'm not even talking about Doncic or, or anything like that, but like just, you know, just like regular old guys like Devin Booker, who had a reputation as a guy who never passed right for years and years. He's right below five assists per game. Um, to me, that's where it, it, he's going to get to like his maximum, maximum output. I, I, I'll ask you this and we, then we can move on. Maybe do you, how do you view him? Or let me, maybe a better question. How do you think the Knicks view him? Um, I, I know I'm asking you to a, a project a little bit, but like, what would your best guess be? Can I backtrack on one thing real quick? Sure. 
Cause I think you make a very good point about this kind of all being part of his progression. And that's, that's kind of something I want to. Oh yeah, sure. Go for it. I want to be able to theme in the story. I just want to read this Tibbs quote quote real quick. Cause I okay. actually, normally he can be long winded and evade your points, but I thought this was very well said from him. He said, we all tend to measure guys where they are today. And we forget the steps that they take along the way to get to where they are. What we're seeing with RJ is steady improvement. You look to where he is today versus my two short years of being with him. I watched a lot of film from his rookie year and then he didn't say anything about his film from his rookie year, but <laughs> I think we can, the get the, we can get the implication. Uh, yeah. He said he's made great strides and I think he'll continue to make great strides because of who he is and how he approaches it. So I yeah. thought, I thought that was just really concise and, and well said from uh from Tibbs and I think pins the narrative very well that like he's 21 years old and what you want to see from a 21 year old is you don't necessarily need to see all right he's Luca he's an all-star and that's where you're at you just want to that's see a, a guy, once in a that, that's yes. a once you know Luca's once a, a decade right maybe not a guy getting better yeah yes that's what you want to see you want to see signs that he's getting better and I think this is signs that he's getting better um I agree with you on the playmaking stuff uh a lot of that plays off of his driving. Like sure. I think a, a big step for him, I talked about his, his next step, just being able to actually finish on these drives, but it's also being able to kick out like, uh, like Ben Ritholtz uh, pointed out on Twitter the other day, a really good point. And, and RJ even talked about it after the game that like, there are times where he hits the paint and he's got a shooter wide open. And instead he's just kind of got tunnel vision of, I was supposed to go up here, so I'm going to go up. <laughs> yeah. And they they say all the time, they all repeat that Tibbs line of the game will tell you what to do. The game will tell you what to do. But you can tell when they're predetermining and they are not letting the game tell them what to do because it looks like that. It looks like I hit the paint. I got to the paint. There are three guys around me. I have quickly wide open on the wing with seven seconds left on the shot clock. Instead of passing the quickly, I drove into the paint with the purpose of shooting. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm supposed to shoot here as opposed to realizing, oh, quickly is wide open. I'm hitting him. And that's the kind of stuff where like he's 21 years old. I think it's reasonable to expect he's going. He might not get a lead at that because he's not seeing that right now, but I think it's reasonable to expect he'll get better at it because he's gotten better at other stuff. Give me five or give me five and a half assists a game that, you know, five and a half, six assists a game. Like, you know, Butler had the year last year where I think he was club close to like eight. Like I'm that's, that's like, that's why Jimmy Butler's a top 10 player. I think the nice thing about RJ and we haven't talked about it a lot. We'll, we'll see moving forward is, does the perimeter because if the perimeter game starts to develop as well and you get a little improvement of the finishing, little improvement of the playmaking, and then develop a mid-ranger, and all this stuff kind of goes up, to me, that's where you're talking about a guy who's like, okay, maybe he's not elite elite at anything other than getting to the rim. But when you talk about just getting to a certain level, um, which is why again, I'm I'm curious how this summer goes, because to me, to a certain extent, and I don't know how much flexibility they're even going to have because someone has to want your players if you're going to trade them. Like, I feel like this summer may tell us a little bit about what they think of him in terms of how, what role he can play for them moving forward. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't tell, I'm trying to transition to Randall because I like I have opinions on Julius Randall and whether I want him on the oh, do you? term. I, I do actually. Do Fred, you? I'm yes. sure longtime <laughs> listeners of this podcast have absolutely no clue of that. Can you blame me though for being? I, I it's been really frustrating. I mean, you've watched all the plays that I have. I mean, it can. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to. Can you think of a more frustrating season from like a quote unquote best player on a team, but. This has been rough, man. It's been rough. Maybe, maybe Aaron Judge, twenty twenty two. Well said. Um, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I, he's playing. He, so, by the way, I wonder how much of Julius playing better isn't like, and he's taking more shots. Like, is in response to like, well, wait a minute, hold on, this is still my team. Um, I just don't know what you do if you're the Knicks because, like, do, like, are you? Again, we, we talked about it last time, like it's usually something off the court when it's a sustained slump. Like, how do you as an organization have faith that this is a guy you can rely on as a major piece going forward? And I, I just don't know that you can. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. And I think that's a question that they have to answer. Look, the extension doesn't even kick in until next year. No, I think I think an optimist would look at his last month and a half and say he's been much better the last month and a half. But it's not like he's been back to last year's caliber of play. Uh, it's not like he's returned to that. He's just been much better than he was. Like at the beginning of the year, I think I believe he's not the jump shooter that he was at the beginning of the year when he was shooting like 29, 30% from mid range. And lately he's shown that he's shooting much better than that. Yep. But is he a league average shooter from mid range? Maybe he's, not. I looked it up today from he's 16. 
yeah, 16 feet to the, the arc, which is where he really made a lot of his money last year. He's at 34% right now. So it's like, uh, all right, it's better. Right. And if he's going to take a lot of them, then like, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, I, I, there are certain things about him that are concerning. The ball dominance is concerning when the jump shot is at that level. It's just really hard in 2022 to have a good offense if so much of your offense is being soaked up by inefficient play, which right now is just kind of what he is. Now, he's been more efficient lately. He's getting to the line more. He's getting to the hoop more. He's shooting around the rim more. He's just kind of playing with a, with a greater aggression than he was early in the year. But it's still a lot of jump shots. It's still a lot of long twos. And it's still a lot of 30, 31% three-point shooting, which is just not where you want your, your lead guy to be. Uh, so it's, it's problematic. And I think they have to try to figure out, look, this, this is probably just who Julius Randall is on the yeah, whole. I, uh, I agree. And so I think it's the Knicks duty to figure out how they can use him better. Like, is he at all willing to be used as a screener and roller more often than he's been? Is what he- evidence would we have that that is the case? None. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, what? Like, I, I, mean, I love look, your energy. I just get like this. You're getting at the core of what has frustrated me most about the season because there was a world. I believe there was a world where the season could have gone a, d- a little bit differently if he was more willing to embrace exactly what you because you just nailed it. That's why I, I, I reacted. But the way can that I say I did. something? I think there are certain things that are lack of willingness for sure, and I think there are certain things that are based on a habit, and I think it's really hard to string across those two things. Like for example, he never throws lobs. He no. could have Mitchell Robinson wide open for a lob or Jericho Sims wide open for a lob. And he doesn't throw lobs. I don't know why I've never asked him actually, why don't you throw lobs? I I've, I've just, I don't you know, do that? I should have asked just why just no, no preface. Why don't you ever throw? <laughs> what do you think? See, the thing is, that's not, that's not a press conference question. <laughs> no, I know. Get I know. Press I know. conference availabilities now, but like yeah. people, people, people talk about uh, reporters making such a big deal about being in the locker rooms. That's why, because after yeah. the game, if I'm just like, why don't you throw lobs after, after the Philly game, like two weeks ago, I asked him, I said to him, like, Julius, I, I know this isn't a press conference question was how I started my question to him. Okay. And I, I asked him like, what are your guys' film sessions like? What are you doing film sessions? Can you take me through them? Because I just kind of want to be better informed as to the team process. And because it was like after a loss, which it often is in a press conference, he took it as me being like, why are your your film uh, sessions so crappy that you're not following anything? Which wasn't my implication at all. It was just like, take me through the process. Like, what are you guys doing? How do you format them? How do you lay them out? There are certain times like that's where locker room access is nice. You walk up to a guy and you're like, hey, man, can you teach me this? Like, can you tell me this? It's just a one on one conversation. So I'd love to ask him, why don't you throw lobs? And maybe there's a way to ask that, like post practice, that kind of stuff. I feel like maybe if he threw one in a game, like, hey, I noticed you threw a lob there. Uh, that's right. But he doesn't, but he won't because he doesn't throw lobs. He doesn't throw lobs. So, like, anyway, why does Julius Randle not throw lobs? Or do any of the other things that he doesn't do. My my guess is there's just something about it that he's either not comfortable doing or because of the way he reads the game, he doesn't read the lobs. He just doesn't he doesn't see them as a possible thing. And to me, that's not Julius. 
I doubt it's because Julius Randle is just unwilling to throw a lob. That's that's a read the game thing. Yeah. It's a how his mind works thing. It's a, it's a habitual thing that he doesn't really do. And so I think with players, sometimes it's hard to separate what's habit versus what a guy is willing to do. Because I think we saw Randall be more of a willing passer last year than he's yeah. been this year, for example. And he's the same person playing for the same coach with a lot of the same players, but habitually he's been very different this year. And I don't, I don't know the answer. He hasn't been totally and completely willing to share his perspective on things this year too, which makes it more difficult to read. Uh, and so, so I don't know, but I, I just, I think there are certain things that are personality and certain things that are just like, here's my decision. I'm sticking with it. And certain things that are just basketball IQ. And it's, it's kind of hard to tell them without talking to the guy. It really is. And you guys, uh, not just you, but everybody on the beat, I think has done as good a job as possible. Um, getting the information that you have in the limit, like you say, you don't really have many chances to to do this stuff. So, um, it, but it, it is limited and you know, it's like, it, it, I guess I, I continue to focus so much on him because to me, like the coach, like whatever, whatever's going to happen with coach is going to happen with coach. I, I, I t- it, I'm not going to say it's not interesting to me, but like there'll be another coach after Tibbs and there'll be another coach after that. And there'll be another coach after that. Like they, it, it ultimately comes down to like, what's, what's going on on the court? Like, who do they want to, who do they want to be the face of the organization? How are they going to play? And that's why with the least RJ, like you, you know, even his inefficiency at the rim. I mean, I dare invoke the name. Like those are a lot of Kobe assists. Like good things happen when he drives, even when he's not making those baskets, especially when you have guys like Mitchell Robinson and Jericho Sims there on your team. Um, you know, with Julius, it's just that, you know, that's why I'm just curious to see what they do. Yeah, like you for said, sure. Yeah. I mean, another thing with Julius is like, that's why like a month or two ago, I wrote a story about Julius. It's about a month ago. Maybe Julius just hasn't been going to the rim with the same aggression that he did last year. And or I should say Julius, his jump shot hasn't been falling with the same accuracy that it was last year. And so you want to see him get to the rim yep. more than he did last year. And and I wrote a story about, well, he's actually getting to the rim a ton when there isn't a conventional center next to him on the floor. When he doesn't play next to Jericho Sims, doesn't play next to Mitchell Robinson, doesn't play next to Taj Gibson, doesn't play next to Narlins Noel, more than 40% of his shots at the time I wrote that story were at the rim. Whereas when those guys, one of those guys is next to him, at least one of those guys, because they have played lineups with Mitchell Robinson and Dodge Gibson and Julius Randall, which just melted my heart. I was so yes. excited about that lineup. Uh, when he plays next to at least one of those guys, that 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 go, that cuts in half to like 21%. And, and to me, that could read, okay, well, if Julius Randall played with a stretch five, Maybe he'd be going to the rim all the time because 41, 42, 43% of your shots at the rim is ridiculously high number. I mean, that's like an excellent ratio. That's not good. It's not acceptable. No, it's fantastic. It is. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, maybe it's just as simple as Mitchell Robinson hangs around the rim and he doesn't like seeing a help defender there. So he doesn't go, you know, there, I'm just saying there, there are certain things you can do if you're going to hold on to Julius Randle because he's got four more years after this one that you can make his life potentially easier from a roster building perspective, maybe from a coaching perspective, maybe some offensive redesign from both personnel and from and from strategy. Um, 
you know, one of the things that I could throw out there is you could get a stretch five, uh, which is maybe easier said than done, but there are a lot of guys who shoot threes these days. Um, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, I just, I, I think it's more complex than just Julius Randall is who he is. And you just chalk it up as a loss and you're done. I, I think he can be better. And I think the Knicks can put him in better situations. I hope so. Um, because again, it, it has been frustrating. I, uh, Let's finish with a couple of quick hitters. Uh, you led me right to something I wanted to ask you, which is that the Mitchell Robinson contract situation, I guess I'll call it a situation. I don't know if that's the right word. Is a, is It's developing, right? Um, Jericho Sims emergence, as you wrote about today or on, in, on Monday, um, you had that great clip from the end of the net game in there about how he just covers a lot of ground. He's just, he's like you said, he's not something you usually get at the 58th pick. I think that may you know, influence their thinking, or at least I wonder if it influences their thinking. If you had to bet on it right now of, of the three choices, which is he just leaves, they uh, it's a sign in trade and he goes elsewhere or um, they resign him to stay here. Uh, what, what, what are you putting your chip on? I would bet that he comes back. I wouldn't bet all my money on it, but <laughs> like, okay. I'll say, I'll say like uh, if I have to, if I have a hundred dollars, and I have to allot a certain amount of money to he stays, a certain amount of money to sign and trade, and a certain amount of money to he leaves for nothing. I'll put the plurality of my money on that he stays, but not the majority. Um, it's very specific. I, I like that. I uh, The fact that they didn't trade him was a good sign that they would like to keep him. The fact that, to my knowledge, they didn't come very close to trading him. It's not like... I mean, that I know of, I don't know of a deal that they had, like, I know they got calls about him, but I don't know of a deal they had on the table that they negotiated the crap out of. And they were just like this close to pulling the trigger and they didn't do it to my knowledge. Unless there's a thing I don't know about that, that didn't happen. So I don't think they progressed particularly far in Mitchell Robinson trade talks, which I think if they were, you know, try expecting him to go elsewhere, if they had real bouts. Yeah. Yeah. Then they would have, um, and he's getting better. Yeah. Like he's, he's playing like he, he said the other day, he's playing his best ball by far. And uh, I agree with him. He's for sure getting better. I just, I don't know my personal bias, which the Knicks obviously disagree because they just gave money to neurons. Noel is that uh, finishing centers who aren't playmakers, aren't three point shooters, and really don't do much after touching the ball other than dribble handoffs are dunks. Um, they're just, it's, it's really hard to justify paying them more than the mid-level exception, not because they can never be worth it, but because it's just an opportunity cost thing. Like you yep. can get 80% of that guy for 20% of the price. Those sorts of guys get, plucked up in the second round all the time. You can get a Jericho Sims. You can get a Nick Claxton. You can get a Daniel Gafford. Like you can, we're in the free agent market. Like exactly. No, no. You can sign JaVale McGee for, for literally the, the name exception. About right. to come off the, you know, it's yeah. Right. Like yeah. how many teams just signed JaVale McGee to a really, how many like great championship caliber teams just sign JaVale McGee to a really cheap contract and always end up being thrilled about it. The Warriors multiple times, the Lakers, the Suns now, and everyone's like, wow, he's really outplaying this contract. He doesn't get a bigger one because centers like that just, it's really hard to justify paying them. Look at uh, what Noel got last summer. He did Nick sign him to one year and what was it? $5 million, right? Five so, mil, right. Yeah. Like that's the reasonable, 
Noel contract. And so it's, it's hard to justify $13 million for someone like Mitchell Robinson when you can have a Jericho Sims for the minimum, or you can have a JaVale McGee for the biannual, or you can have a Nerlens Noel for 5 million, you know? So for me, that's why it's a little bit tougher, but it's, it's also plausible. The Knicks are in a situation where it's just like, all right, they have Mitchell Robinson or, you know, they want to use their mid-level exception on somebody else. And now they got to bring back Mitch and they figure kind of the same logic they did with New Orleans, which is, this is a movable contract. If, uh, you know, if, if, if they feel like they have to move on just for me, I feel like the fit next to Julius Randall is very clunky and the fit next to RJ Barrett, as we're talking about him as a guy who wants to get to the rim a lot. I just feel like it's very clunky and it's a major reason why, like if you have a bunch of guys who are best inside the three point line, it's really, really hard to have proper spacing. Spacing is more than three point shooting. It's geography. It's where guys want to be on the court. And when you have Julius inside the three, you have Mitch at the rim and you have RJ inside the three, like that's just, it's a lot of bodies. It, it is. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what they, what they do. I think with Mitch, the fact that you could argue he is, if not the best offensive rebounder in the league, he's, you know, he's in the conversation. Like that's, that's big. I, I, I think the, the rim protection is like, it is, it is a notch above your, your like average, like quote unquote rim protecting, you know, dive guy. But even so the markup to that is not, you know, $15 million a year. The markup is like, okay, do you give him the max that he could get right now, which is, you know, 12 and change. Like, I, I think that I've always thought that's a fair, ish number um it's probably a little bit of an overpay but i don't know you know it all takes is one team right i think it's fair i mean robert williams gets four for 48 i think i think robert williams has proven to be a better player than mitch does more with the ball he's actually a really good passer people talk about him as just like rim diving center and that's such a big thing the fact that they just like you know yeah, we don't have to get into Mitch's Mitch's faults. He is a he is an imperfect player, but he's very good at things he's very good at, and I'm sure somebody will reward him for that. Yeah, and and he also for as much as he 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 says he wants to do more on Twitter, he's he's actually very good at not doing things that he's not good at. Like that's true. Like it's it's really funny because there are a lot of players who who do things they're not good at all the time just because they either think they're good or they want to prove that they're good at it. And it's really funny that Mitch is constantly like Instagramming and, 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 and tweeting about like how he can do more, but he is like one of his really positive traits is that he's really good at just doing the things he's good at and nothing else. It's like, that's like a great thing. Having a guy who just knows what he's good at and just does that. Dwight Howard never did that. Dwight Howard was a pain in the ass. He always wanted post-ups and this, that, and the yeah. other thing that was yeah. nonsense. Totally. Uh, I mean, it, look, I think I think there's a pretty realistic chance he gets something in the realm of that extension, four for 50-ish, because like that's the Wendell Carter contract. That's the Robert Williams contract. It's the going rate. Your old, your old buddies in Washington, Daniel Gafford, yes. three for 40, 40, I think it was. So yep. a little, exactly. little, bit, little bit more money, but but one fewer year. Um Last thing before I let you go, uh, it's what I think all of Nick's Twitter really cares about right now, although they're kind of getting their wish by default. Um, do you think there will come a time where, you know, like an Alec Burks gets shut down, maybe an Evan Fournier gets shut down, maybe even a Julius Randle gets shut down? Um, and do you think that there's any chance that that would happen before 
the Knicks are officially eliminated this season. Again, if you had to place your place your chip on that. Uh, yeah, I think that's possible. I'm, I'm, I'm looking up something right now because I'm just, Oh, I'm, I'm very curious. Alec Burks has my favorite, uh, Knicks. Statistic. Oh, the stat, the stat of the year. Yes. His two point, two point percentage. Well, if he gets shut down, it's not just his two point percentage. It's his percentage on, on layups versus his percentage on threes. Oh, I boy. have no idea if someone has ever shot worse on layups than he has on threes in NBA history. So I just like to pretend that Alec Burks is the first guy ever to do this. But I think we shooting, should all pretend that he's shooting thirty eight point six percent on threes, and according to NBA.com, he's shooting thirty six point three percent on layups. So he's had a solid two or three percentage point spread there all year. And if they shut him down, that just takes away time for him to become, in my mind, because who the hell knows if anyone's done this the first player to shoot worse on layups than he has on threes in a season. It's unbelievable. If you think about it, if you think about it, it is, it is beyond the realm of, of, of anything that is reasonable. Like you said, Um, yeah, just, just, Hey, Alec Burks, you have one shot open gym. No one's there. You have one shot for a billion dollars. And Alec Burks goes 23 feet from the basket. Yeah, That is, well, that it's like guys, amazing. if you're playing golf and you go in the water, you may want to go like further away yeah. than the light, the, the drop zone, because that you're like in between clubs or so. It's like something like that, maybe. But know. it's, but it's, it's the equivalent of someone who chooses to shoot like a off the tee instead of shooting a five foot putt. But the yeah. reason he doesn't want to shoot the five foot putt is because he has to flail and pretend he got fouled on the five foot putt, because that's what Burks does every time, which is why he's shooting 36% on layups. Do you, do you know what? I, I looked it up today. Uh, he's played, I think it's 94 f- crunch time minutes this season. Do you want to guess what the team has been outscored by in those 94 minutes? Oh boy. Probably a lot of points. It's 98. Oh my God. In 94 minutes. That's really bad. He has in a good cl- net cl- rating clutch, on the season in, too. In clutch minutes. Um, so, you know, five points or whatever with, uh, in the, within five points. Or wow, within his non, five minutes, five points. His non-clutch time net rating must be obscene then because they're, they're like a pretty pretty solid net positive when he's on the floor. Yeah. His, I mean, his overall numbers are not bad. Like he was, he was part of all those bench lineups earlier in the year that had like double digit plus net ratings with, you know, like Rose and quickly and like, Obi. like he, it's that's uh, like a starting lineup with him, which gets so much crap has played a lot of minutes and it still has a positive net rating. Like they're still out, you know, outscoring teams when they're on the floor of going by the whole year. Um, It's, Whatever. It's insane. Um Alec Burks gets too much crap from Knicks fans. That's a take that I have. I'm listen, As you're if talking, Alec Burks playing point guard is his fault. You're you're talking to president of I've defended Tibbs a lot this year. The thing that I will never forgive Tibbs for is he has made Knicks fans hate Alec Burks. Alec Burks is a good player. And like you're never gonna convince me otherwise. That dude is a good basketball player. When you're in the right role, he's gonna be good. He's gonna help you, he's gonna help you win games. And the fact that, like, you know, I don't say that's that to belittle him, I just say that's that to show like it just, it hasn't worked. You know, it hasn't worked. That's all. Well, they're using him as a point guard and he's not a point he's guard. Not a point guard. <laughs> the most, the most simple. reliable Alec Burks ism is every time he gets pressed pretty much, 
he goes left hand to right hand behind the back to try to break the press. And it's like the only move that he has to break a press. And it's not because Alec Burks has some unacceptable handle. And it's not, it's just because Alec Burks isn't a point guard. He's just not a point guard. And it's not his fault that he's, that he's doing it. Uh, he is, a, I agree with you. He's a very good wing. He's a very good seventh man, eighth man. If he's your seventh man or eighth man playing the wing, coming off the bench, playing good team defense, guarding okay on the ball, knocking down 38% of his threes, 39% of his threes like he is right now and creating shots every once in a while and like playing 16 minutes when he's not hot and 28 minutes when he is. It's perfect. That is an excellent role player. He's an excellent role player. And the contract is fine, by the way. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I do not begrudge them for, of all the contracts they signed this summer, that's the one you can't blame them for. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, do I think they could shut someone down? I didn't even answer the question. Oh, yeah. Do you so think so yeah. excited about Alec Burke's layups? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's possible. That's possible. Sure. Anyone. I, I don't know who it would be, but but yeah, I could see that being possible because often a shutdown also is a front office decision over yeah. over. I mean, it, it tends to be made in conjunction with the whole organization, but like I would call that more of a front office roster short of sort of decision. I mean, they already shut down Kemba. So, I was, and I mean, we don't have to talk about Derrick Rose, but um, let's nobody out there hold your breath waiting for Derrick Rose to make Yeah, his. they keep saying that Tibbs keeps saying that he wants him to come back, but That's, I'm sure he does. He hasn't <laughs> sure he practiced yet. <laughs> yeah, he still hasn't practiced, and 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 that he had that second surgery to for the infection like 18, 19 days ago by the time this podcast comes out. So yeah, if if they're like somehow not saying that this will be the case, but if they are somehow like six or seven games out with like eight or nine to play, and like they're you know, Derek Rose is ready to come back, like what, like why? Um, yeah. I mean, look, also like they're playing McBride, they're yeah. playing quickly, they're playing Sims, uh, but the, it, but the it Rose seems like Grimes is coming back real soon. So when Grimes could back, come back and he could get time. Win. He should, and he will. But the Rose thing is interesting because theoretically, if Rose comes back, unless again, they, that's why I'm curious about it. Unless they shut down, you know, Burks, or probably would have to be Burks. Like there go McBride's minutes, and at this point in the season, it's like I know it's a small thing, and I, he hasn't looked particularly great uh, or comfortable the last couple of games. But like he, like he should be out there. He should be getting these minutes. Like see what the kid has, you know. Um, so that's the only reason I'm, I'm curious. About. Yeah. I mean, no reddish too leaves, leaves a spot. Open. Leaves, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Grimes is going to play at least 20 minutes, no oh, matter yeah. what, like Tibbs wants to play Grimes 20 plus minutes because he just gives them the best chance to win. Yeah. Like he's just, he's just a good NBA player right now. Guards yep. well, shoots 40 from three. Like that's just a good player. Um, but, but yeah, I could see them shutting somebody down. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, right. they get to a point where they're 15 sub 500. Why the heck maybe, not? Maybe to preserve Alec Burks's record, they will shut him down. Just just in case. We, we don't want sure to make the starting it. lineup data finishes a net positive. It is weird <laughs> that that lineup is a net positive, right? Because every time yeah. I tweet it out, I always tweet it out the exact same way. And every time I mentions it, my quote tweets and everything on social media is just fans being oh, yeah. furious about that starting lineup. I know. And it's a net positive. I know. I know. I do Listen, feel like I'm kind of trolling fans at this point by just tweeting it out the exact same way every single but, game. I mean, look, this, this could lead to a whole another conversation about like why they did 
why the why the decisions that have been made this year were made and like you know where where is the genesis of where it all went wrong and what could have been done to fix it if anything um given the roster they have but we'll save that uh conversation for perhaps a, a postseason postmortem um for right now before i let you go fred katz can you let folks at home know um where they can find you and uh yeah like uh what 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 you got coming up yeah you can read my stuff over on the athletic new york uh, I got that RJ feature coming out Wednesday. You can check that out. I uh, worked for a little while on that. So definitely give that a read. If you can, you can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz um, on Instagram at Fred Katz MBA or uh, yeah, that's it. I got nothing else. That's enough though. That's read, enough. read John's uh, newsletter. Check out Nick's film school. If you have time, read, read, read Fred. Fred's good. All right. Hope you enjoyed that convo. Uh, Fred's awesome. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, do yourself a favor. Change that. Uh, He's great. They're great. Um, And uh, RJ Barrett's great. It was good to talk about him for a while. Something put a a smile on my face um, as I continue to watch this team find their way towards the finish line this season. Um, As always, if you dig what we do, feel free to uh, drop a five-star rating, leave a review. Those help us out. And of course, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, subscribe um that is it uh like i said uh doing post game after the blazers game and then uh we will also have a very special episode of the podcast dropping on friday with a very very special guest who you uh certainly know and uh i think are going to enjoy listening to um but until then enjoy your week and we'll be back with you soon